0: Hey everybody, second episode in as many weeks. Woo, I told you. No, not as many weeks. In the same week, I am lying. What I wasn't lying about is the significance of the guest. I teased some of you in our various uh, Discord channels with little hints. Little hints being one sentence, still counts. I've been wanting to do this episode for a while, but we were um, waiting for the opportune moment... put this out because this is a big one my guest is our ceo mark say hi mark hey everybody hell to the s so mark's (laughs) mark's story and everything he's done for the conception of Ember Sword, for creation of of the game for getting the team together and even before that is incredibly fascinating from all from the glimpses he's given me through our many conversations and i really really wanted to share it with you guys just just so you know where Ember Sword came from, why it'd be like it'd be, what inspired it, and no person can shed as much light on that process as Mark himself, because Mark is Ember Sword, for lack of a better word. So I really want to just get right into it. So shoot, Mark, we we devised a little, <laughs> a little <laughs> indeed, indeed. schedule, not schedule, but a list of topics that we're gonna cover on this. But it's gonna be just a lot of craziness. So I want to start with your background. Um, anything interesting you want to say about, you know, what led you to being the man you are today?
1: Oh, wow. I mean, that's uh That's a very nebulous a <laughs> question.
0: <laughs> I would say so. Maybe, so um, let's start with-
1: I, I'll, I'll try and start from, the, from yeah. the start. Actually, one of the things when I'm doing a lot of these interviews and stuff, um, actually talking about all this, because not to toot my own horn or anything, but I, I've done a lot of things, started quite early uh started traveling early as well and kind of making companies. So starting from the bottom. I think I was like 13 when I made my first company back then um, on the internet. It was quite easy to actually make things. You didn't really have to verify. You didn't have all these like ID checks, etc. So you can own a bunch of websites and a bunch of URLs. So you can actually have free hosting <laughs> as a 13-year-old without actually, yeah. <laughs> So it's, a, it's a quite a quite a different time like before they actually figured out all these kind of things and added all the safety and stuff. But it was a good time for learning, at least if you were, were a young guy and you didn't really have any sort of support or something that kind of – like you need some sort of adult kind of behind you in order to really be able to realize what you're doing, I'd say. So even when I was 13, I had a website – um, pretty much just copied someone else's and tried to learn from the code and then built my own sort of like little community. It's called, uh, in Danish, it's called Ski Benden, which means Sky Gang, but uh, ski, a ski gang. Dominate. which, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it has nothing to do with it either. Uh, it's mainly because back then we were using RSC, it's basically a um, uh, it's called MRSC, It's basically a chat program. And, people had this weird thing of putting SKI behind their nickname. And for some reason, we just made like a channel for it. And then the channel grew into the website I made, which um, was basically a community where people could post news. They had like user accounts. There was a... Um, back then you did a lot of what is called like tag walls. So you would like write something. It's like a guestbook basically, but an open one. People would write something in. I guess it's like the the early version of Twitter, kind of. Uh, oh for those God. of you to remember that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you invented Twitter? No, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, at that time, a lot of guys had guest books and everything. It's like it was the normal thing to have on a website was this tag wall, like guest wall, um, where people would write like small messengers in to, to leave for each other. So, I mean, at least in my mind, it kind of feels like that was like the, maybe the inception of, of Twitter all the way back somehow, then someone figured it out. Because a lot of these things usually are right in front of us and we can't see them. I mean, take an easy one, Facebook is a community for everybody. But prior to that, we had lots of communities that were closed down or like specifically only for a certain amount of people. So that's kind of funny. <laughs> but to to read it all the way back, yeah, I was kind of 13. That was my first one like make that website. We used to do like parties all around Denmark. So I figure, we were, what were we at one point, maybe 120 people or something. So. So we arranged like these get-togethers around in Copenhagen or over here where I was living in Yuland, or Jutland um, and then, you know, just kind of hang out and have fun and do all these things and like kind of have a, a bit of a community. I guess maybe that's also what kind of started me into all this about building communities and the importance of building communities, which is something that I believe that pretty much any project that you're doing, having a community around it is pretty much essential depending on what it's you're making, where you want to push it to. But again, all the way back starting with websites, uh, so we're kind of jumping back and forth again. Like I said, there's a lot of things to tell, especially if we start oh, going yeah. into the details about stuff. Um, but I've been mean, making the websites when young. I started out really, really young, and then Texas Instruments i99. I talk about this a lot. It's um, it, it's all the way back. It's basically some of the computers I believe they used on some of the early ships like, for like torpedoes and everything. Uh, there's actually a funny incident in Denmark on the computer I used uh, back then some sort of ship. They had some sort of error and they fired like a torpedo or something in Denmark with this one. I think it's one of the news they actually tried to play down a bit uh, because of what, uh, you know, people's animosity was computers and all this stuff. It was probably something that played in a lot back then. But <laughs> that's a very, very basic thing about computers. And I think it was either my uncle or my dad that somehow got a hold of it. My uncle got a lot of stuff from the U.S. because he worked all over. He worked in the U.S., He worked for the US on Greenland. He did like a bunch of things.
0: Cool.
1: And he was able to like bring stuff for my dad or my dad would request stuff through him and he would bring it home. And I believe one of them was this computer that takes instrument i99 and didn't really know much about it back then. Then he basically gave me the manual and I started reading that. I remember the first game I actually made on it. I was really, really young. I spent the entire day writing, just copying what it said in the manual into the game and then um you know you could play it It basically two dots two dots just shooting another dot at each other like a dog fighting game and it took me a whole day to actually write that game and then i had like maybe 15 minutes to play it before my uh, parents was like hey it's evening you have to go to bed now you've been up already too long um that, that kind of kicked me off at least on making games on the SX um I, I 99 if i can't pronounce it correctly <laughs> <laughs> And through that, it kind of grew. Uh, my dad always had different computers back then. So we, I think we went on to the Amiga straight. At, oh, sorry, the Commodore 64. Oh, we went on to that first. Yes. And then we had the, uh, we first had the tapes, you know, we had to play the tapes and everything. Then later, then you had the floppy disks later, and we had one of those, actually. Uh, we went further from that. Then we had the Amiga, and we had their, like a hard disk for that, which was quite big back then. <laughs> you know, it's like having a bit of RAM and a bit of hard drive back then was a huge deal. So yeah. luckily, my my father had a friend who, he worked for another big company doing all the gaming stuff. I like gaming stuff. <laughs> doing all the technology, just like, you know, business computers and stuff. So he was kind of our access or our way into this uh, and kind of where I learned all of about it and did all those things. Um, and through that, you know, he got all these like different programs. And back then it's like subscription services, you get all the new stuff. Um, to kind of play around with, and I just I don't know I, I kind of fell into it a bit. Tried all these different things, also kind of different games or apps. Even, uh, I remember my father playing a lot with like printing on the uh, that was on the Amiga though. The Amiga was quite good at uh, printing somehow on like T-shirts and stuff. So you could print people's faces. He would print like some of our family members <laughs> on T-shirts uh, that you know share it out and stuff. So I guess that kind of that kind of introduced me a little bit to it, um, and then through the Amiga and the Commodore, which I used a lot. It was mainly my dad, of course, but I learned a lot on them. Um, also doing mods uh, to get into that quick. I, I did a few mods back then. That's way back before I even had the internet. So, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you had to, like, call each computer on, a, like, an uh, ISDN line or, like, an, uh, a normal telephone line. She would be taking up <laughs> all the, uh, like, nobody could talk. Yeah, yeah, would, yeah. I, I, yeah, I
0: was the same way. That I ruined my mom's social life for a year and a half playing Diablo 2 through the modem.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was terrible back then in terms of like, you would take up pretty much everything. I remember playing, uh, even way back, playing Command Conger, the first one. You had to call each other to kind of play multiplayer. But that's that's even, that's jumping a bit forward again. So going all the way back to the Commodore and the Amiga, we're making mods and basic and QBasic, which was uh, like multi-user dungeon. It's basically just something where you get a question, like you want to go north, east, west, south. They want to pick up things. Um, that it he does it's all text-based but I kind of got that from playing some of the other text-based games uh, on the computer and especially when it got further to like the early PC and the Amiga there was a lot of text-based games in the beginning like police Quest. um
0: all the Sierra games I would assume yes yeah. all
1: the Sierra games pretty much yeah. like Larry Leffer, etc those games all had the initial versions where you actually had to type and I remember that in the beginning, I actually didn't know what all these different terms actually meant. And my dad would actually translate them to me. Oh, and like, <laughs> Yeah. So he'd like say, okay, this means pick something up. This means et cetera, et cetera. And actually, before I was in school, like initially, I I, I could understand things pretty good just in playing these games.
0: Nice. I
1: remember in Police Quest, that's a really hard game. I don't, I don't think I ever completed it, but a friend of mine did. And he kind of taught me a bit about it as well. He was a bit better, better at English back then than I was. Um, but basically, I spent like a whole evening once, just typing in every single command on a scene, like a scene in the game, <laughs> to try and figure out how to kind of solve it and take like a whole evening. But I mean, eventually, you kind of pick it up. Of course, it's it's a lot of work and it's a lot of sitting in front of the computer. But I attribute it a lot to, like you said, like being who I am today, because these games, when I was young, they taught me a lot of solving things. like. It takes a while to figure something out and how to solve it even on the pc i'd say uh, when I was kind of a little bit younger of course or, or more grown up um there was games like monkey island and some of these other punk and clip games salmon max uh, full throttle uh what do we have more of those old ones um you know, grim fandango yeah
0: you got really <laughs> lucky playing those because those actually have solutions a lot of the adventure games from that era were made stupidly difficult and obtuse to the point where I'm 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 in awe at the fact that you managed to finish them at such a young <laughs> age because again most of them just had bullshit solutions like you have to pick up this pie from the windowsill yes. and you need it 30 scenes later. <laughs> if you threw it away, tough luck buddy
1: <laughs> Yep. Can't yeah it me. really taught I, I remember replaying a lot of these games. Um I think in Monkey Monkey Island there's always this one thing that stands out to me. There's the place where you have to go over this sort of valley. And you have to use a rubber chicken on a bunch of wires, I think, together with something else so you can kind of skate over it. And it makes pretty much no sense at all. <laughs> but through, like, the deduction of uh, trying to figure out, like, what won't work, what what's, like, left to kind of play with, and just playing through it... Um, you just learn like to use these different things like you learn to think out the box and I think it's super important because if I'm playing games today at least like especially these point click games so there's many really but it is not an adventure game I would say um I don't really feel that I'm very challenged uh, maybe it's because I'm older now of course so it takes a lot more to challenge
0: me. You've been around the block but,
1: yeah yeah but I, but I still think that they're quite they're quite no say like they're quite even in a like linear in the way that they solve things. Like nobody be there really taking a chance. Nobody really tries to do something that's different today, like kind and be different from the crowd somehow. And it just feels missing. Like all these old games, they had a lot of character. They had a lot of love behind them. Um, that's not a great one I'm thinking about, right? Like called Day of the Tentacle. Uh, yes. Also one of my all-time favorite games. It's just amazing. Just the fun of it, the comedy and... It's that's, that's just one of the things I really love about gaming, I think, like this this way of just getting, it's like reading a kind of a good book where you can also mm-hmm. be a bit interactive in it, because it's just funny and silly and you learn a lot. Meanwhile, I'd say it's not like you're not really, you're not wasting your time here, depending on, of course, who you kind of are. But I would say that you're learning to problem solve in a way that's meaningful.
0: Yes. And
1: I think that games really does that a lot. Um, So of course, jumping further from this uh, growing a bit up, I mean, I also started doing eSports, but that's a bit of a jump. Of course, it's first when I was around like 17, 18 that I started doing eSports and Counter-Strike. And one one of the things I also learned there, of course, was that to problem solve. So in order to play FPS competitively, so maybe jump a bit back here again, <laughs> uh, when I started playing, I started playing on the modem. I used to play Quake way back in the beginning. Uh, I was kind of lucky that one of the best players in Quake, he also was from the same city as me. I think he was like top three in Denmark or something. And he actually okay. taught me. He actually taught me to play. <laughs> yeah. So, well, back then you had a lot of lands. So, mm-hmm. you know, we had yeah, it's a great time, you asked me, it's a lot of community, a lot of meeting people, a lot of going out, playing, having fun. and. It's something that I think we miss a little bit today because we're all connected online. But by being connected online, we also lose a bit of that closeness or like, um, you know, more the personal thing about actually hanging out and playing. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's a bit of animosity towards animosity towards that. So some people think that, oh, well, you're just sitting and playing computers. They don't really see it as a social event. And they kind of have this more of a negative view on it, I'd say, which is wrong,
0: of course. Incredibly, yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, a lot of the FPS scene back then started out with lands, of course. I've so been a lot of lands, um, um, especially in Denmark, also around the world, of course, with competing. But one of the things um, after doing Learning Quake, and actually, the fun thing about that, I play inverted. So, you know, I was, you like a pilot.
0: You absolute <laughs> <Yes>. monster. <laughs> you I've play always played FPS's inverted. inverted. That's insane to me. <laughs> that
1: That's what everybody says. Everybody's like, <laughs> Wow, hi. I know there's like almost nobody left today who plays inverted. Personally, I feel that your reaction time is faster because you have to push up in order to aim down or the other way. And it just feels, I don't know, it feels more reactive. Maybe that's just me because i always played with it. But the only reason I feel that I'm playing with it is because this guy taught it to me. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it just stuck with me all the time. But I can play both ways. Though. I can also play without inverted. I can play with inverted. It doesn't really um it, it takes me like a really short while to kind of get used to it some games doesn't even allow invert today so you just have to <laughs> kind of learn how to go with it
0: oh my god <laughs> yes you're the quite world's quite most quite. well-rounded human being <laughs> i cannot <laughs> imagine doing this <laughs>
1: Uh, I'd say that a lot of the guys from the old school, of course, um, they would have kind of the same as with me, even with we're jumping up to when I started playing CS. I was just playing online on like random servers, like a FFA, what's called a free for all. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, I would, I would I got picked up. Back then, there's a lot more trust in like being online and being on servers. People didn't have that sort of like mistrust to everybody and everybody would be faking somehow. People would kind of have a nickname. You would kind of know who that was. Um, it was um, like a little bit more laid back, a little more, a bit more trustful. Mm-hmm. So I actually got recruited oh, okay. um, <laughs> by a, by like basically the best team back then. They asked me to you know, come 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 down visit them, come play with them and stuff. And I was like, yeah, sure, you know, why not? I think I was 16 first. I'm not really sure. It's, it's been so long now, but it's around the, like 16. Um, and then somehow before we kind of managed to do that intro, the team kind of split up, and actually, I think that the guys who wanted me in first actually split from the team into another one. So the leader who was left there, he recruited me <laughs> into the are. teams. That yeah, I actually ended up in this sort of like um, repairing the old team with new blood, I guess, which was um, was quite the ride. I'd say that I was really really green when I got in. Like I had probably had not much understanding about tactics and all that stuff like team play so I learned like a ton there and kind of trying to learn my way through it um as I, I, easy to see that the other guys was usually a lot more a lot better than me in that aspect like the team aspect. I was um maybe more of a shooter uh also at one point I was more an avp uh, avp is called <laughs> and sniper
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and then I kind of changed over to kind of be an all-rounder or more rifler and there's a lot to learn to that, at least. But I think that in terms of the FPS, when you play, it's a lot about, again, problem solving about making fast decisions. So let's say that you know you have a team of people coming at you in this scenario, you have to make a decision if you, you know, are you going to pull back? Are you going to try and delay them a bit? Can you remember where are your other guys on the map? Um, that, there's a lot of things that always plays in, into these decisions, like can you remember how many uh, grenades the other guys has thrown, um, you know, how many grenades did you guys throw to kind of be able to have the tactical overview of everything. And I don't think I had it back then as much as I got it later. Um, I would say it's kind of... I think I peaked, unfortunately, when there wasn't any tournaments. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That is where I I played my best CS, uh, because I remember I got a lot of cheating accusations back then. Um, of course, as you do. yeah but yeah but i mean everybody gets that um mm-hmm. even today when i'm looking at it i'm always i'm not, i don't really trust i don't really trust too many people if they're not cheating or not especially because i think today that it's too easy to cheat it's yeah. too easy to get around things if you know what you're doing mm-hmm. if you know technology you can pretty much skate around anything without getting detected and there isn't really any sort of entity that is really I would say out there good enough to kind of be combating this on such a top level but my hope is that with the introduction of ai and all these things that we will finally start to be able to catch these people either in like pattern recognition or other
0: kind of cool things you can do with ai but let's discuss this later <laughs> <laughs> it's it, actually that's a it's a really topic that's very near and dear to my heart uh, one of my favorite youtubers does a series on um cs overwatch where he just watches clips of cheaters and tries to determine whether they're cheating. I'm actually amazed that (laughs) AI technology hasn't progressed further than it has now because the cheaters are incredibly obvious with the scripts they're running, with their movements. I would imagine some learning algorithm would have taken advantage of it or Valve had made something to catch them already.
1: Yes, yeah, I'm pretty sure the AI is gonna do a lot there, but it's always gonna be a cat and mouse race. Of course, that's why you kind of need a lot of good guys. And when I look at what some of these cheating guys are making, especially for CS and other ones, it's it's quite um, it's quite technologically sound, I'd say. It's it's like they're thinking in way higher terms, and technological terms, that even the companies that are making these games, you know. And you really gotta be on your toes to kind of be able to catch this and to kind of be ahead of it. And like you said, like pattern recognition, uh, hands, drawing. I know a lot of games, even in MMOs, they have a lot of things like mouse movement because then you can sort of see if somebody's using a butt because the mouse always going around these specific circles and Mm -hmm. with a real human being it would be more um, like different. Yeah. So yeah, but I mean, again, it's a huge talk. I hate cheaters, I want to catch them. Um, Hopefully we'll be able to do something uh, perhaps with the sort of AI we we're playing with but again that's a that's a long discussion for another time
0: yeah I, I wanted to touch upon something so far you you the way you've talked about gaining knowledge you it sounds to me like you already you always prioritize actual practical experience or learning with your doing. own devices yes learning by doing and you didn't <laughs> did you by talk much that. about school
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we can jump jump a little bit. So meanwhile, while I did all these things, like even eSport, even doing the World of Warcraft stuff, um, I was doing school at the same time. I, I guess I've kind of been a bit, I don't know, unlucky with the timing or not. So I never really thought much of school. I know that's probably a bad thing to say, but I always felt that I kind of did better on my own. I always felt that I could find better information online. Um, then what we're being taught in school, I always thought that school info was kind of slow. It's always behind, especially if you're learning about computer science, I always thought that. Yes. yeah. That is so far behind the curve, what you're learning there. It's much like, I think that the best experience I've ever gotten was working on mods, like mods for any sort of game, mm-hmm. um, like MOD. So by doing that, and by having a community with a couple hundred thousand people and stuff like that, you kind of learn more about all this than you would ever learn in school or like read about all these things. So, yeah, learning by doing is definitely it's definitely something that's always been um like repeating itself in my life and also in everything I do, mm-hmm. even with if we're solving something in games, even for fun, I would say that we're also learning by doing going into like, oh, what's happening here, what can we do about it, what do we have accessible, all these things, kind of being a bit more tactical and um analytical about it, I'd say. Um I think that a lot of people, when they play maybe it's also because when I talk to my friends about playing games, they have a quite different view about it. And I don't really like they want to play games to relax somehow. So they don't really want to get into like the specifics They just want to play, have fun, figure it out kind of as to go. But it's in another way as to go where... I don't know, I'm always trying to solve things in a way to get me ahead. Like I want to learn from the best and I want to take what they're doing. And I want to incorporate it into something that's mine instead. Um, That's kind of always how I've been going at it with games. so, you know, trying to find some of the good guys to learn from. <laughs> of course, if you are the good guys and, you, and the game just started, you're kind of setting that notion. But I would say that even if you are, there's always something to learn from others. Um, I think that like in Bright Star, to kind of take a, an example here, we have people who are insanely experienced, like huge uh, game industry veterans to work on a ton of MMORPGs. Um, and then we have people who never worked on the MOG, but they played a ton of them and they have the understanding for games and stuff. And I think that by combining these experiences, you get the best possible outcome because nobody in like one single fashion is ever going to be right. And you kind of need some of that old and need some of that young in order for things to really, really fully make sense for everybody. And I always had that, like I never had only young people or only older people or only like this specific set of experience. I think in all the gaming teams we always had, there's was a quite quite a big leap between the oldest and the youngest. And I think that's super important in order for everybody to kind of learn from each other.
0: That is a very, very good perspective, especially when it comes to, I mean, the, the enterprising mindset that you have, that's to me incredibly important in terms of leadership in a company. You. You have a fantastic perspective on this and I, I really actually appreciate it.
1: <laughs> well, I guess I'm, uh, I always felt like I was a bit, um, what do you say, like uh, militaristically? In, in Not a bad way, but it's very um, like the control fashion. I Disciplined, yeah. Yeah, like the military. But I like that. I feel like if we're doing something, we're doing this together, we're doing it now. I don't really care about like everything around it. It doesn't matter when we're doing it together. Like save it for later save it for for after or something like that now we're doing this focus on this and then you know everything else comes second as soon as we're done you know
0: yes that's how things get done the big trap especially in in companies like ours where you know we have a startup mindset we're trying to build something (laughs) like really awesome the the dream should never get ahead of the reality of what is accomplishable and we thankfully so far have been able to like keep things on track and just consistently work on whatever we want to work on and you have a, you're a big part of that and now I understand why yeah,
1: well it's not easy either I mean it's always a huge struggle especially if you want to do things your own way uh, you're always going to have to fight for it there's always going to be people who think differently who wants differently who wants uh, you know something else who thinks that if you change this it's going to be better if you change that it's going to be better mm-hmm. um, and of course it's always You always need to listen to feedback and to other people, but I think it's important to stick to your guns, stick to your vision, to what you want, despite the negativity, despite what it is, because usually people don't have all the information, of course. Mm -hmm. I guess it goes for any project, so the people in the project would know the most about it, but you can't really communicate everything all the time or at once. It's kind of another game, I'd say, but you really have to structure it well in order for it to be easily digestible by everybody. Uh, sometimes there's time constraints, sometimes the other things, you just have to do it really. Um, but I would say, you know, stick to what you believe in, stick to what you want in your vision and fight for that. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a huge struggle. It's going to, there's going to be a lot of days where you feel like you know, you really want out. Uh, you're probably also going to make a couple of mistakes in a couple of meetings, all that stuff. But I mean, the main thing is just to learn from, from it and do better all the time. And, you know, just throw yourself out into it, learn what you can, then do the next one better. I mean, what the, like what they say, like um, failing your way to success is the right way to go at it, right? Absolutely, because yes. you have to learn a lot. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of projects and done a, done a bunch of mistakes on some of them, of course, but I also learned from them. Um, but some of the first deals I did with some of my first games, I mean, we learned a ton about contracts. <laughs> we learned about <laughs> publishers. We learned about... So the greediness, we learned about investors wanting this and that and taking first ride on money, uh, all these different things that can kind of kill a company that you have to watch out for. But of Mm -hmm. course, when you're a green guy, you just started a company with a bunch of other guys, um, that's kind of hard to learn. But again, I learned a lot from that. Without like a lot of these experiences in my past, I wouldn't have been where I am today. I wouldn't be able to know all these things about international business or contracts and all that stuff to kind of be able to fine tune it to what I want to make sure that sometimes, like if you have a vision, you have a dream, you have a project, actually having that down into a document. So it's actually legally a project, it's legally a company that it can be quite the ride. It can be quite expensive, especially depending on what you want to do. Um Just thinking about Imbresort here. I mean, we spent a ton of money on lawyers, on like tax experts, on international business experts and merchants and all that stuff to kind of learn from everybody about this, see where everybody is, learn from everyone else's experiences of how they did their projects um, and kind of how that fit in because every country is a bit different, EU is different, North America is different, Asia is different. (laughs) There's a lot of things to keep track on Mm -hmm. and a lot of things to learn all the time.
0: It's, yes, I mean...
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's quite a big mouthful.
0: It is. It's. It's. It's hard for me for me to quantify just how enlightening this is for me, and certainly for for everybody listening. Just this is fascinating stuff. But even me, a person on the inside, I am gaining so much perspective from everything you're telling me. It's it's incredible. Um, I actually want to go back a little bit. Into- I want to go back. <laughs> uh, into these days, <laughs> yes, these four days. I know because I again to, to add upon that perspective with examples of what you've done, I know you were big in wow at some oh, point. Oh, yeah,
1: oh, yeah. I mean, if we're jump forward from the CS playing, um. With, uh, yeah, we're playing there, going around the world, playing, uh, like, different events, CPL. Uh, what was the other one called? Click Arena in France. So um, after that, uh, I had a lot of people who actually played uh, CS who also wanted to play WoW. So kind of, I don't know why we somehow all wanted to play WoW, but it was just a big new thing. Um, we actually thought it would be more of a PvP game because we were quite competitive. Um, and we, we wasn't... We, really into pve I like rating and that stuff but we started playing uh, wow and then uh, recruited all the old cs guys we had a lot of old cs guys um for anyone who's an old schooler uh, we had people like johnny r the johnny rambo he was like one of the best uh, snipers ever from a team called Mouseboards. <laughs> um and we had like a bunch of these guys were hiding in between we also had a few other like famous ones from other international teams who came in and just played played around us once in a while so we had the, like all these competitive people kind of attached to it. and for some reason, uh, all of a sudden we figured, out, oh, we are, we're quite fast at defeating these monsters or like encounters in the game. And like all of a sudden it was like, oh, we're, we're the first to do this. And then after that, it just took just took speed somehow. Um, I would say that we actually had it was a good mix of competitive eSport people and prior MMORPG players, where we had some guys from EvoQuest who were very experienced in defeating encounters and mobs and one of these guys called thomas uh, kung he was our in-game raid leader and he was basically the guy who solved these things he was the guy who also ran i think he also ran a team called nihilum in everquest i can't really remember it's so long ago now um but he was our in-game raid leader and he solved like pretty much all these things i was never too good in-game at it like to just come up with all these like different solutions to all this stuff that was more him he was really good at that i was more the outside businessman on taking care of all the managing things or getting people on anything to do with the business side and all this stuff and he would take more care of all the in-game things and the kind of leading the team recruiting people um when we had to defeat things so after we actually defeated things uh, one of us other guys could kind of take over and just run it um kind of get all the things uh it was kind of leads me into another fun Just in WoW, in the beginning, you had like 40 people in the raid. So I think we had, I don't know, we had 200 people in the team at once. And when you have 200 people and you can only select 40 to go into these encounters, you're going to have a lot of angry people writing to you, why didn't you pick them? And again, like talking about experiences learned from games, I think that that's also one of the things that really... Hardened me in the beginning because today, like when I was older, a lot of these events that happen in companies, people getting angry, uh, someone getting fired and throwing around chairs and stuff like that, it didn't really, it never really affected me somehow. Because when you had loads of people write to you every day that they hate you and you didn't pick them for the, the and you ruined the evening because you didn't pick them, you you kind of get used to it, I guess somehow. Um, and I think that you need this kind of thick skin. If you want to be a leader, you need to yes. be able to take all this different criticism. A lot of people, they don't have the same like, perspective of it as you. They just want to have fun. They just want to play for an evening, whereas you're kind of trying to keep everything together, keep everybody happy. So in order to kind of do that, we invented a system. So if you weren't in the actual team that went to defeat a monster, you could go farm other things on the side and earn what was called DKP. Uh, which is a dragon kill points. Uh, something you used in the beginning, also in a lot of other RPGs. And by that way, you can farm points that you can then use later in the raids. So in order to get an item in one of these raids, you would use your points that you collected by being an active member of the team or the guild to get these items.
0: Reward incentives?
1: Yes. But of course, we we had that. But on top of that, we would also divide items to whoever needed the first in order to be able to defeat uh, encounters the most so if you're like a tank uh, and something dropped for tank that tank would get it so it's just some random guy in the team that got it where it isn't really most useful so it's it's like both the maximum impact of what you're getting but it's also allowing for people to get something you know on the side with all the time to spend in it it's a bit of um I wouldn't say, I don't really know if there's like a specific term for it or something, but at least this is what we kind of came up with. And this sort of like mix in between reward and being a member of it. And I always thought it worked well, at least it worked well for us. I mean, we were number one for two years, two years and three months. Oh my <laughs> we... God. What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you go to the Wow Wiki and you look up Nehilum or Insidia, uh, from Taran Mill back then, you can see that we were—I think—was number one for like, uh, yeah, two years and three months, where we won all events. Like, we defeated every encounter in the game. We did all the PV like all the PVE events, all the PvP events outside. So any sort of uh, online tournament or offline tournament, we actually won those as well with the team we picked there. <laughs> so that's okay. it's, it's quite right. Yeah, and the PvP team was some guys we actually handpicked uh, that we knew from uh from like other other ways in the community uh, it's quite fun because they were on the different side so we played what was called horde which um is the opposite of the other one that called alliance alliance is more the humans and and, and guys like and the we quote playing, unquote
0: like, uh, good guys according to blizzard nowadays so. uh, uh, yeah <laughs> sorry that, that would be pro- propaganda
1: if you if you take me and if you call if you it ask me, nerve, I'm sorry. Uh, yes. We all know that Horde is, of course, the good guys in the story. always will be. Of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, then the with WoW, there came a lot of things, um, you no know, other than a 14. But this whole thing about when we got this world first, the first time, there was a ton of hits. I think we got like millions of hits. That's back when WoW had, I think, like 16 million active players or something like that. It's crazy. So by making a website and posting these like uh, kills, uh we figured quickly figure out that there was a ton of people joining to see it and learning from like esport and posting content to quickly figure out that hey this is a way that we can attract a lot of people to the side let's get some ads up and all this stuff and then it just took speed right away um even had interest from some of the early like esport teams um no we joined with mouse sports and i think we call like nihilo MouseBots sports Mo officially at one point at least um and, and that also kind of helped us a bit evolve on that end. So in terms of eSport, I thought it was always semi-accepted, but it was still on the side, I'd say. It wasn't really... Um, I think it wasn't never really accepted <laughs> on, the, on the same way that you would say, like an FPS game is a, as an eSport or something like that. It's also something that I hope to... Um, like with Imbresort, we are we're hoping to kind of reinvigorate what is um like what is esports for mmos um and something like we want to call like micro esports because you don't need to have something where people win like huge amounts of money or something all the time for it to sort of be an esport. If you can just make it competitive and fun and still rewardable it's still esport and it's maybe that's something that fits better into an MMORPG than doing it you know the other way. I mean I don't I don't think watching like a a free and free wow battle on TV is super exciting. Um, but I think that about a bunch of different games, there's not many. Many of them I think is super exciting to watch on the big screen unless you're kind of a part of it yourself and you kind of understand what's going on. And I think that's one of the main reasons for MMOs as well, which is one of the things that we're thinking about at least to kind of how can we structure this. And if you look at our team, like in terms of our advisors, we do have. A lot of esports guys on there so it is something that we're definitely looking to kind of touch more down upon it's not something we talked a lot about um but it is really a segment within the company within the division that we are very highly thinking about especially for the end game and especially for those who are interested in pvp i
0: want to make note of something um the all, all of that you just described this sounds like systems that are commonplace nowadays you did this at the genesis of wow you created am i correct in assuming that everything you've done most of everything you did was handled outside of game because those systems just didn't exist at the time right
1: oh yeah yeah i mean we had to make everything ourselves i mean actually when we started playing wow it didn't even have it had Lua scripting so but it didn't have any add-ons so we actually made all our add-ons ourselves like we had to make we had to make a timer and it didn't really fit perfectly but if fit around. So, you know, we had to start the time ourselves and then run it and then had to write like a script that sent like a text to tell and all this stuff. So, so yeah, but I mean, that came fast though. Like it didn't take too long until you you had a ton of mods kind of helping you a lot. Um, I guess that's kind of also a big difference from the beginning of WoW to the end in terms of how many, like how many tools you kind of had to help you along um I, mean, I, I remember at least at one point in WoW, I think that like the whole entire screen was just full up of, of tools and add-ons and all this stuff. Yes, <laughs> uh, I've seen that. So that, yeah, it's like very little, um, like very little actual gameplay in there, but somehow it still kind of worked. People still love solving those somehow, so there is this sort of notion about solving these things. It's just about, you have to facilitate it better, I'd say. Um, like our philosophy to the game is just to simplify everything well, to remove all the, the silly barriers, to remove all those things that are kind of hidden in the game and just make the core more about having fun. Then, of course, there's the whole monetization aspect and, and things of value and all that stuff. But um, like I said in other podcast, I always thought that things have value in games. Um, I, I've been a part of <laughs> talking about WoW again. To actually facilitate some of the things we did with Neil and that we used to facilitate sales. Um we know a lot of guys who actually did that and they would sell some of the items. So because we had access to these new items because we were the first to defeat them, we could take people into our raids and they would then pay for getting some of these items. And we would use that money then to kind of finance our website or to finance like a get-together somewhere. So we had a couple of get-togethers with the teams where everybody would meet each other and kind of have fun. And that money actually came from, from these sales.
0: That's so nice. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, speaking of the business side of it, tell me what that looked like. How did that evolve?
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, first of all, we just started out, of course, with advertisement money. um I remember something always stood out to me at these spots that the, all the gold sellers—they of course wanted to give really insane amounts of money. I think you get like eight thousand euros, ten thousand euros, twelve thousand euros a month if you had gold ads. Um, so we actually partnered with Mousebots once to do some of our, uh, our stuff with the team. And I think one of the first things they did was actually to add GoLads on the goddamn And <laughs> I remember writing to them like, no, we don't do this. <laughs> it's like one of the few things we don't want to do. We don't want to have GoLads on it. We just want, didn't want to support that aspect of it. Um, I know that a lot of people, other people do. Maybe the incentive is a bit different today um i don't really know but at least there's always a segment of it that we never really liked much um and we're always kind of against at least the community didn't really didn't really accept it much anyway so no matter what i would say was the the right thing about it so then you know we got the money in then basically we just used that to pay people we would have like a segment of people who would get a bit of money every month to kind of make sure that everything was kind of set um and then we have like these different teams. We had writers on, quickly started building like a writing team. Um, recruited a bunch of guys. Um, a lot of the guys actually <laughs> that I recruited back then today, they're all, all working at quite big companies, they're working on Riot, they're working at Blizzard, uh, in quite nice positions. So I would say we picked the right people at least to, <laughs> <No> <laughs> to help write <laughs> <Ryan> it back then. <laughs> um, I'm quite happy about it. I think it was a good I think it was a good learning experience for everyone to kind of be thrust into it. I remember Michael Dell was actually one of our, our like private sponsors and one of it. Uh, some of the guys we, they met um, his um, were like private secretary at the I think it was the RPG con or it was the oh, it was games con. I can't remember which one it was. It was in Germany, in Cologne. So, and he thought that everything we did was kind of awesome. I think it was after he saw that back then you didn't have YouTube um this youtube can only have like one minute videos a few minute videos um so we had to upload all our like these videos of of people defeating the monsters and stuff they would have to upload something called like wow uh wow movies and way back in the day i think we had like before they lost the database i think we had like 91 million downloads and that's just downloads and not even views (laughs) which is yeah it's quite crazy i think (laughs) official. The official one ended around 60, and then I think they lost the database again or something like that, because a lot of the things from back then are just gone nowadays, you know, which is quite, quite sad. I do think I have something in my email somewhere about it, at least, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, you can still see it today. I mean, a lot of people know it, um, but it's just before YouTube it was kind of sad. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I mean, those, those downloads and loans were, were just huge. I mean, so we used to put like sponsorship logos in the front or in the back, um, just try and kind of get it about. He gave us, oh, he gave us so much. He gave us like a ton of computers, like these XPC computers, uh, two versions of them. And then he gave us like, I think it was four web servers, like huge web servers. Four yes, servers? Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, something like that. It was just, it's just super. And I thought I was, I was that like Michael Dell was, was really awesome of him to support. Uh, supporters like back then, and he didn't really. Or they, they, did, they never claimed anything from us, they never wanted anything from us. They're just happy to to kind of be a part of it somehow. That's really awesome. Um, but I mean, you had a lot of guys back then, uh, different kind of more hardware teams kind of giving a bit of money. So some of them get like the maybe 2,000 euros a month, 3,000 euros a month, depending on who they are. And then they would just have a logo on t shirt and everything. And one of the main things that they would also give it to us is because we did all the events for Blizzard, or a lot of them at least, um, like the Worldwide Invitational in Paris. We did that on live TV. We did um, some event in Paris as well, or I think it was in Paris, but Millennium, uh, another like uh, WoW guild back then. Then we've done a bunch of the events at GamesCon in Cologne for Blizzard as well, where we we like we defeat some sort of like high-end monster that the players don't really have in. Uh, they haven't really defeated or they haven't really seen um, like in the game. So if you check the stats often, <laughs> a lot of these like high-end mobs and games, they usually have only been defeated by like, maybe 10% of the population. So showing this off to normal gamers, it was always like a, a big treat for them, I'd say.
0: And your treat comes in the form of a two-part episode. That's right. This podcast was such a behemoth that we figured we'd give you two episodes that are more palatable. So join us next time when we delve into Embersword, Mark's creation of it, his vision of it, and some of his favorite media. Hey you, you made it to the end. Congratulations! That must mean you like us enough to want more, right? Well, good news! We're all over the internet. Go to embersword.com and subscribe to our newsletter for a chance to play the game early, as well as the latest interesting tidbits on the game and the team. Join our lovely Discord community over at discord.gg embersword. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Play Embersword, for regular updates on what we're up to. And remember the basics. Drink water, be kind to each other, and spread the word about Embersword.